podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Well, 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 it is that time of year again, time for reflecting. In fact, something I've been doing a lot this week, I've been writing, thinking about what we've accomplished, what we screwed up, what we're going to do in 2020. I hope this episode can help you do the same, that you can walk with one piece of business inspiration. We dug back through the archives, try to pull out some gems that underline some of the key themes of 2019 and with hopefully some, some takeaways. You know, it might be more fun right now to sit and sit on the couch and, uh, you know, watch Christmas movies or something. But I appreciate you coming here to the TMBA pod and hopefully getting some entrepreneurial nourishment here today. That's our goal to deliver you some inspiration, one or two actionable takeaways, something that you can implement in your 2020 plan. And I got to say, before we get into this, we've been doing this for 10 years as a team me and Ian doing this podcast, and now we've got a, a whole team of folks around it, and it's our favorite thing to do every week, that's for sure, and we appreciate you all listening to the pod and giving us your amazing feedback through voicemails, emails, in person. Um, it's an incredibly rewarding thing to do, so thanks for listening. Let's underline five key themes of 2019. We've noticed these from chatting with you in person at our events and, and via email and things like that. So number one trend, fads are out. It seems to me that there's less of the next big thing this year in internet business land. You know what I'm talking about from affiliate marketing to drop shipping to initial coin offerings and all that stuff to the next unicorn tech startup. It feels like almost we're settling in, like this is becoming normalized and it's just business as usual. And that's good news for those of you looking to get involved. It's You don't need to identify necessarily some fad or opportunity. You just need to get in the game. One thing we've seen is a lot of people taking old school businesses you know, that we used to think of as utterly location dependent, things like you know gutter clearing or classic construction, and transforming them into businesses that can be made more profitable and also be run from anywhere using modern systems and technology. So an insightful advocate, one of my favorite interviewees this year, Nick Huber from the Sweaty Startup blog and podcast, came on to share this view and really sparked a lot of interesting ideas. And a lot of you came out of the woodwork and said, hey, that's what I'm doing. That's how I'm achieving success. So Nick began his company, Storage Squad, hauling the boxes himself. He came on the show this year to talk about how to get rich without getting lucky. I was all about tech. I was in college with a bunch of techies. All the entrepreneurs that I knew were doing tech startups. And then I bought a house. And I realized that, oh my gosh, there's a huge hole in our everyday labor-intensive services. When you are doing any kind of actual physical work as a business, I think 95% of the people who are really brilliant entrepreneurs look at it and say, oh, not that one. 
I'm moving on to the next one. And why is that a problem for you? It's a problem, Dan, because all the wealthiest people that I know in this town, every town I've ever lived in, all the wealthiest people there, none of them had new ideas. None of them had tech startups. None of them had businesses that could be operated completely remotely. They all started really, really small and they started really, really local. I mean, there's a guy that I know in town here that does $1,000 a night deep cleaning restaurants. I mean, yeah, it takes a little bit of investment, a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, but these businesses are operating right now and they're operating like it's 1995 or 1985. They don't send quotes by digitally. They take cash. They take check. They're sending out faxes. <laughs> they have a full-time secretary in their office that's pushing paper around. That's just what I'm seeing. So basically, I mean, you're not a Luddite, right? Like you understand the internet. What was it that made you realize the wisdom of the story that you're trying to tell right now? Why did you believe it or did you have to live it in order to believe it? I lived it for sure. I mean, I literally started a business that nobody else would touch with a 10-foot pole because of the logistical challenges and the amount of physical work that I had to do. To now, there's a good chance in 12 or 18 months, we're going to have $10 million worth of self-storage under management and be on our way to doing some really, really big, awesome things, the things that we dream about. And I started by lugging a box up a spiral staircase, sweating, and my friends laughed at me and made fun of me when I bought a $1,500 van on Craigslist. And they sat behind their computers with their next tech startup, and now they're working in New York City for the man commuting each way. And there's nothing against that route, but I just watched it happen over and over again. And the most brilliant people that I know couldn't quite hack it because it's just so competitive and everybody wanted or wants to do it. So Nick was in the day-to-day -day just enough to understand the nuts and bolts so that he could eventually get out of the day-to-day -day and work on the system so he could focus on growth. That's what we're doing here. And that brings me to the second observation. As an entrepreneur, consider working on your business, not in it. An oldie, but a goodie. And so many of the best entrepreneurs, the ones focused on building something sustainable and automatable and all those things, they have this as a strong personal constitution. It's a personal goal. It's one you can set for yourself in 2020. It's so easy to violate because right on the other side of this line that you're drawing is potentially more money right now. And I understand the temptation to cross that line. This brings me to our next clip. Right at the beginning of the year, which seems like only yesterday, I met Tommy Joyner while we were both waiting to board a plane. We literally were talking on the tarmac, and that led to a conversation about how he and his business partner came up with an idea of a successful productized copywriting service. It's called Content Pros. This all came from an experience they had of outsourcing ebook writing. They got this insight while running an agency business with clients. And this is something that many people, including me, are keen to progress out of. That led them to experiment on working on, not in, a new venture right from the get-go, something I think is worth experimenting with in every business. But we kicked off by talking about why Tommy originally decided to quit his corporate job in the insurance industry. I didn't see any future. Like, I mean, there was like one conversation that I had with my boss. We were driving to see a prospect at one point and he was like, man, in like 10 or 12 years, you just keep doing what you're doing right now. You're not really going to have to work that much. You'll have like a huge recurring income stream. And we were in like a Dodge truck and he's like, you'll be driving a truck like this. And I was like, I don't even like this truck. <laughs> 
So it was just like that conversation. Plus, I just, I always dreamt about doing this, man. I mean, I always dreamt about getting abroad. And that was, that was always on the back of my mind. What was the dream? I mean, the first dream was just to be able to not have to go back home, <laughs> like not run out of money, be able to stay in Colombia or wherever I wanted to be. We were hustling on Elance. We were actually like hiring graphic designers and my, my business partner flipped his profile around. So he became a freelancer on Elance. But he's like, I think there's jobs on here. Like people need help with stuff. Like I'm just going to like do some stuff. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what are you going to do? Like, we're not like designers or anything, man. What do you think you can sell? And he sells a dude on a package of autoresponders for his personal development website for $5,000. And then when he did that, I was like, whoa, it's possible. And then I sold a guy. It took me about two weeks. And I sold a guy on a project for $6,000. And at that point, I mean, we're still hiring out contractors to like write. We hired writers from day one. I think we were more entrepreneurial than some people who start out that way because they're actually fulfilling the work. Like we never fulfilled the work. We went and found writers to work with right away. I want to interject here. I can really relate to that. And I consider it a virtue or a fortunate fall in my case or a fortunate defect that I don't have any skills. And so my skill has always been being the Tom Sawyer is basically convincing other people to do the work at the right price. And had I been a graphic designer, had I been a copywriter, had I been someone who's a great editor, I might have fallen into the trap of selling things and then turning around and doing them myself. So kudos to you. I totally agree with that. And if you are talented, and that's actually what you have done for a living, it's going to be more difficult for you to make that transition because you're dealing with like all sorts of mental pre-programming that's going to be hard for you to come by. So you guys are, this is 2014 at this point? We're into 2014. We nailed on our first actual contract in March of 2014. That was the start of it all. And then we sold like over $20,000 within 45 days of like getting jobs on. When, when we did that, I was just like, whoa, I can actually, like I have enough money to go back to Denver this summer, kick it in Colorado, see my family. Like I don't actually have to get a job. Like we can do this. Have you ever doubted it since that moment? Yeah, for sure. Because there's a, there's a transition involved in like going from like a project-based agency where you can make really good margins. And then when you want to hire other people and when you want to build systems and when you want to actually like, when you have to rely on software that you have to pay for on a regular monthly basis. And you have to have marketing programs running in the background to keep your leads coming in. Yep. Like all that stuff is going to eat away at your money, even if you do have really good margins, like it's going to eat a lot of money. And what was the first step to making that transition to getting, I guess, more business oriented, more serious about it? It was really painful to picture a lifestyle moving forward where we were just going to continue doing what we were doing and at least not try to remove ourselves from the business or at least put something in place that would allow us to have like an asset that someone might buy in the future or something like that. Because ultimately you're not building anything. I mean, you can't sell yourself to anyone else, which is, I'm not advocating that everyone has to do that, but like, it's something that you need to consider. Both Tommy and Nick are finding success growing teams. And certainly we can draw some parallels to the principles we talk about on this show. But that brings me to point number three. 
Your journey of entrepreneurship is yours and yours alone. You didn't give up working for the man to become slave to another organization, which could be like your business or your staff or this machine that you've built. Maybe that's not for you. I really believe this, that systems and principles and things you hear on podcasts like this, it's just a spark or handing the baton off. Once you get that baton, that inspiration to take action, it's got to be your own vision. You got to be your own leader. You ultimately have to be a visionary in your own life and proceed into uncertainty. And a lot of times that means sticking to your principles about what you value and what you want to build. So that brings me to one of my favorite interviews of the year with Kat Cocolette. Her designs are in high demand by companies like Target and Urban Outfitters. So Kat came on the show a while back to talk about why she made the decision to remain a solopreneur instead of growing a team of her own. I work with people, but I've always kind of, I've shied away from taking anyone on as staff because I, you know, one thing I really value is this personal autonomy, both over my time and my income. And I've been able to make this work by myself so far without having to build a team around me. It's tricky because I know I could scale much more efficiently and quickly if I did build up a team, but I also really value my personal time and you know, being able to take a week off if I want to take a week off and go, you know, hiking through northern Vietnam. Actually, last year, I signed on with an art agency. And they do everything that I was, you know, either bad at doing, or I had no interest in doing previously, which was, you know, reaching new clients, new companies that I could start licensing my artwork through. They represent my work at trade shows, they manage all of my contracts in a way that's much more organized than I was doing before. What's your dream now? Worldwide art domination. Of course. (laughs) Having a custom branded line, you know, sold through a specific store where it's an entire collection of my work on some sort of product or or collection of products. I mean, that would that would definitely be a, a big next step for me. One thing I was really nervous about when I was beginning this, you know, the very beginning stages of this career was because I had such poor skills at outreach and pretty much all of my new collaborations happened because they reached out to me. I worried that, you know, I had this capacity to really reach this massive audience, but I just didn't know how to reach the brands to reach that audience. And that's one thing that I'm really hoping to remedy by signing on with this agency. Not only do they manage my contracts for me, but they're going out on my behalf and finding new opportunities. So we have a really transparent relationship where I can let them know exactly what I'm looking for and the types of brands that I want to be associated with. And they can go out on my behalf and and pitch for those opportunities. Part of it is a little bit out of my hands, but that's also pretty exciting. Hey, what up, listeners? By now, you'll be well aware that we've had an amazing sponsor the last quarter of this year. His name is Travis Jamison, and he's the guy behind Smash Digital and Smash VC. His team has been sharing their years of tried and tested SEO experience with listeners of this show through their free mini audits. If you haven't gotten yours yet, head over to smashdigital.com slash TMBA. I thought it would be a good moment to give Travis a call and ask him why he decided to write us such a large sponsorship check. I grew up with the Tropical MBA. That's where I, I learned half the stuff I know, like, These are my people that I align with, that I understand. 
Why did you guys decide to do free SEO audits for the TMBA listeners? Is this just a ruthless client generation tactic? So it's actually not. I think what we're doing mostly is showing that, hey, we really know what we're talking about. I would say 99% of anyone who's gotten an audit back, they're usually impressed with the amount of information, like usable information that we give them. Yeah, you did one for me. It was eye-opening to say the least. You guys are unique though in, I wouldn't call you necessarily thirsty for new clients. Do you know what I mean by that? Our long-term goal is to stop taking clients. Our long-term goal is to just work on our own internal projects and like partnerships that we've created over the years with different companies. Like sometimes clients get, you know, a nice ROI and everybody's happy. But then sometimes clients come in, we literally make them millions of dollars. And it just kind of seems silly to be charging a couple grand a month for that when we can be doing so much more for ourselves and being able to wrap ourselves completely around a project. You know, SEO is only one side of it. There's, there's so many other things besides SEO that really go into it. And our team has so many years of experience that it just makes sense to, to start doing that. We're on month three of you underwriting the show or being the sponsor. What's like the narrative that Smash Digital has about this campaign? Our entire brand is built on word of mouth. We haven't advertised until now. The company's like close to nine years old at this point. We felt like it was time to put ourselves out there a little bit. And we even gotten some people saying like, oh, you guys are still doing this? So we're just letting them know like, hey, we're still here. We're still crushing it. Doing the same stuff, only better and higher quality. The one and only Travis Jamison, everyone, of Smash Digital and, of course, Smash VC. Check out those aforementioned free SEO audits at smashdigital.com slash TMBA. This brings us to point number four. Despite what the naysayers will tell you, and often it's not, let's be honest, it's not the naysayers. It's those voices in your head. It's the corporate devil on the left shoulder who says, Look, you're hearing about this on a podcast a year late. You're not good enough to do this. Everything's already been done. Why even get started? Stick with what you've got. Well, I'm here to tell you there are still enormous opportunities on the internet, even in some of the most obvious places right in front of us. These are even fields that have been around for decades, and for for many of us, they seem entirely saturated. You don't have to take this from me, though. Back in August, I spoke with Ryan Robinson of ryrob.com about how he was able to generate $50,000 from one blog post, perhaps ironically titled How to Start a Blog, a topic you'd assume has been sorted au contraire. So he wrote this wonderful blog post about how to start a blog and entered into an affiliate relationship with one of the biggest web hosting sites, Bluehost. I published the article back in, I think it was May 28th of 2018. So it took from, you know, let's say beginning of June, all the way until I think December 3rd was when it hit number one in organic Google search rankings for how to start a blog. And Uh so, you know, looking at the numbers from there, like once it hit number one, the month of December was like generated 50K in commissions. And then... They pay on like a, I think it's a 45 day, like net 45 rolling cycle. So it wasn't until like February that those commissions actually started to be paid out. 
I think what jumps out, like having found your blog and an enormous percentage of your income is from the hosting affiliates. And then on the other side, you've got the costs are all coming in content creation. So it's almost like this really simple thing, which is like I spend money on content and I drive people to affiliates. Does it worry you that so much of your income is focused on affiliates? Uh, Hell yes, it does. And particularly that so much of my income is reliant upon one single affiliate. And I've seen, you know, Bluehost is who we're talking about, but I've seen just over the past, like, let's say two months, there's been a lot of Google algorithm updates. Yeah. And I've seen a serious shakeup in some of my organic search rankings over the past couple of months. So that's something that I'm super sensitive to and having to like now like cut back on some of my costs because I can see like my pipeline of like, oh, Bluehost affiliate commissions are down by, you know, 30%. Like I need to adjust on my end what my plans need to be. You've written one blog that I thought was interesting about the history of blogging. You pointed out some interesting turning points. I'm curious, like, where do you think we are right now in the history of blogging? Like, how are we going to look back at 2019? I think we're still in the Wild West. I don't know when that's going to end either, because any industry where someone can, within six months, publish an article that ranks number one for this crazy high-volume search term and essentially build a business based off of one article, any industry where someone can do that, that's the Wild West. So for me, I think there still isn't a huge sense of stability. I think that's what you know the search algorithms are trying to strive for, is like reaching more of a stability point um, without tons of volatility. But I don't think we're going to see the end of that. I think like, I think we're going to see that video is going to become increasingly important. So, you know, obviously Google owns YouTube, right? Number two search engine in the world. I've seen that with a lot of my posts that do well, the videos that I embed in them on the same topic rank really, really high on both YouTube and on like a Google video search. So I think there's going to be an increased connection between having a YouTube video on the same topic as the article that you also wrote something long form about. And number five, the final point. And frequent listeners of the pod will know that we speak in fives around here. Although it's hard, it's okay and often very fruitful to walk away from something that's not making you fulfilled, i.e. don't do things you hate. Don't do things that drag you down. And the toughest part about this is sometimes it could be that thing that you strived for all along. You know, what's that quote? The surest way to kill a dream is to achieve it. And I think a lot of our guests this year have demonstrated a sense of self-knowledge that's allowed them to recalibrate and build the business that they ultimately want. So Corin Woodmass came on the show to talk about his decision to move away from creating an automated online business, which was the original dream, to do something a lot more hands-on, which is becoming a broker for selling them, and ultimately how happy that switch made him feel. A few years ago, we were in Berlin. We're doing the four-hour workweek lifestyle. We'd bought affiliate sites. We were building out our e-commerce business. So on paper, we're making money. But internally, I was bordering on depression. (laughs) And that's super weird to say because I had everything I thought I wanted. And I got there and I thought it sucked. And when I did deep dives and kind of 
figured out why that was. It was because as a person, I need to be talking to people. I need to be, and now I realize I need to be doing deals. I need momentum. So I talk to investors with hundreds of millions of dollars to deploy, and I just want to talk to them all day about what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it. That's fascinating to me. And if I can eventually close a deal with someone like that in whether it takes a year, 10 years, 20 years, I'll still do what I'm doing and I'd do it for free. And then on the sell side, because I've been on both sides of the transaction, I want to help clients get the best deal. So that actually gives me more energy. If I was talking to myself four years ago and saying, hey, Corin, I just flew out to New York and I was talking to these guys about this deal and we're, we're working on it and we're We've got all this diligence work to go through and we're, we're on more calls and there's tension and we don't know if we're going to get the deal done. I would have said, why are you putting yourself through this nightmare? But in actual fact, I wasn't necessarily lying to myself. I just didn't know that that was the thing. I needed to see that four-hour workweek lifestyle, go to a bunch of countries to realize that that's not really me. And this is a critical point. We talk about on the show building a business that gives us an immense amount of personal freedom. And we often work our butts off to get that freedom. But it's also, of course, the freedom to walk away from things that you don't like. But what are we going to do with that freedom? What are we going to choose to embrace? And this is something that Kyla Gardner and I discussed in the context of the so-called digital nomad lifestyle of constantly moving around from country to country. When I got into the lifestyle, it was freedom from a lot of things. It was freedom from a nine to five, from Chicago winter, from all my obligations, from a certain way of thinking. And then once you are free from those things, you're like, well, what's, what's all this freedom for? Like, what am I actually moving towards instead of away from? You nailed it. Absolutely. And it took me a while to get hip to that. My number two is overrating places, underrating communities. It was a really life-changing experience for me when I first moved abroad. I spent a lot of time in Saigon and then Bangkok and just like grew in every sense of the word. I was new to entrepreneurship. I started taking care of my health. I stopped drinking a lot. I started a side hustle that eventually became my business I have now. And I romanticized those cities. I think I give the cities too much credit for that because I think it was the people that I was around. I was dropped into this entrepreneur community, people from all over the world, people who just thought so differently than anyone I had met before introducing me to all these books, to this podcast. And so when I've gone back to Bangkok or Saigon, I think I half expected it to be a bit more amazing than it was, but I was just romanticizing like the person I was at that time. And I'm a different person now and going through different things. And the cities also didn't have those communities anymore. It was just a canvas, in other words. Yeah. It was like a pre-selection criteria. Like if people had made it to Saigon, they had heard about what was going on there and they could afford to do it in whatever way they were doing it. You knew they were going to be super cool, interesting people just by being in Saigon. That's almost it for 2019, but we can't close the year without a mention of one of our most commented on moments in the show this year. 
And so we put the tag on the door. Uh, we go out to dinner and we come back and the tag is off. Open the door and the ferrets are gone. That's right. In the moment <laughs> that I had no idea about ferret gate. I was listening to it with Ian and I just, I almost fell out of my chair. Earlier this year, we ran a couple of episodes giving the backstory of how Ian and myself met and went into business together. And that all started for Ian with a cross-country road trip traveling with his buddy Greg. So for those of you who didn't catch that episode, here's how the ferret saga played out in real time. We packed up the U-Haul and we had Greg's ferrets with us. The ferrets are these <laughs> these little cute animals, kind of rat-like but much longer. I guess the interesting thing about ferrets is they're illegal in California, and so that becomes an issue once we get to the California border. But we packed up, and we had walkie-talkies, and it was a fun trip. So we ended up driving for uh, three or four days, I think it took us, get to the California border and have to hide his ferrets. We headed to kind of like the suburbs of San Diego to find a cheap hotel, and this is a perfect place to let the ferrets run around because they've been in the truck for the past week almost, caged up. And so we let the ferrets out. They're running around in the room, happy. And we decide that we need to go out and get some dinner. So we put the uh, do not disturb tag on the outside of the hotel door because obviously we don't want anyone coming in there. Not so much because the maid knows that ferrets are illegal, but because as soon as you open the door, these things will run out. And so we put the tag on the door, uh, we go out to dinner, and we come back, and the tag is off, open the door, and the ferrets are gone. Immediately, we figure out that someone's been in the room because uh, the beds are made. We asked the staff if they'd been in there, they said yes. We asked them if they'd seen the ferrets, they said no. And so eventually, we call animal control, we figure out that they have the ferrets, someone had called them in. Basically, animal control says... Ferrets are illegal in California. We are going to euthanize them unless you get them on a plane in the next couple of days. And so Greg put his ferrets on a plane and they traveled back to Virginia. I mean, I've known this guy for a decade and a half and uh, no mention of ferret gate to me. It's uh, unbelievable what fun it was to do that episode actually. And thanks for all the comments on that one. That was a uh, really fun to dig a little bit into our backstory. And I, I got to say a little intimidating as well to have to just remember what happened. <laughs> that was a really fun process and I uh, appreciate all the positive comments on that one this year. So that's all from us here for 2019. Again, an enormous thanks for everyone for listening. We've got a bloopers outreel at the end of this. Um, I'm terrified to hear what the production team has come up for. Uh, and before we get to that, I'm going to roll this week's dynamite deal. That's where we give you a screaming deal on a product or service designed to grow your business with just one click. The exact types of products and services you hear featured on this show every week. And this one is all about making you your business more profitable by upgrading the marketing channels that are working in your business and also testing out some ones you'd like to try. Now, there's only a couple ways to do that. You can A, do it yourself. And sometimes that's cool and that's the right way to go. You can employ an expensive agency or service or 
You can improve your existing staff's marketing chops through training and getting solid processes in place. After all, so many of us have already made investments in freelancers or VAs in the Philippines or full-time staff. So here's the key question. Do you have the marketing knowledge and the time in your day to do that? If the answer is no, this deal is for you. So let's get to it. We teamed up with ClickMinded's Tommy Griffith, frequent visitor to this show, to offer 80% off for a limited time of ClickMinded's marketing courses and their SOP library. Some of you may remember that Tommy was the head of SEO at Airbnb, so those are serious chops. You'll get access to their strategies, as well as insights on content marketing, email funnels, and more from leaders within Lyft, Techstars, and other top tech companies. This means your team will effectively learn the tactics and tools they use day to day. As soon as you purchase this deal over at dynamitedeals.co, you'll have access to all that at a one time. It's not like ongoing, like hiring a staff, a one time low price of $497. That's 80% off of the retail price offered on ClickMinded's website. I've seen these courses myself. They are clearly structured, engaging, and practical. We really believe that any member of your staff, from your business partner, even yourself, to a VA you've recently hired in the Philippines will gain value and improved marketing skills. And how can't that pay off at least to make back your ROI in this amazing opportunity? The biggest pro for me as a founder is that it's potentially an enormous time saver because who wants to sit there and go through the nuts and bolts of SEO best practices? That's what this deal's all about. So are you ready to pour some fuel on those 2020 business goals by giving your team key marketing training from top tech firms? If it sounds like a deal to you, go check it out at dynamitedeals.co. And this is only available for a limited time. Again, big thanks for listening, for all your emails, your voicemails, incredible shows of support from the TMBA community out there. We appreciate it. We love doing the show. So we look forward to seeing you in 2020. And the one resolution that we're going to stick to is that we will be back in your earbuds every Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And again, stick around to the end. We got a bloopers reel coming. I'm sure there is absolutely no shortage of material for these things. Happy 2019. We'll see you in 2020. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is Dan Andrews. I help. <laughs> I know this is hilarious. <laughs> um, He's done my jobs. Yeah. Okay. I like criticism, and I think that there's a chance that this might work out. But I think there's a greater chance it might work out. Um, Wait, say that again. Say again. Because you didn't say it correctly. Okay. All right. A note for the production team: We are going to try to go through five or six questions here. We're going to try to be interesting. Try. We're probably going to fail. On what had transponded? Transpired, Jesus.
I just had to reach out to the author. His name is Anders Renau. Renau. How do you can say this? Okay, I'll be back in a second. I got to pee super bad. So let's just move on so now. Jane, if you want yeah. to do another 20 minutes, could I take a two-minute bathroom break? I'll leave the... No, uh... you can't. You just have to not have a week of course you can. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll be right back in two minutes. Hey, Arison, it would be... Uh... Arison, 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 Arison. That's how you see it in the transcript. Um, it'd be great if we can get some like punching effects going on here. Or Mike Tyson stuff. Um, Mike Tyson's punch out. Something. Or we might use the everybody was kung fu fighting. That might work. Okay. His boots were fast as lightning. Okay. Oh boy. Which is like the funny element of this book. You could basically, you could imagine like a Stephen Pressfield disciple just going around and calling everything yeah. like in your life the resistance right. and just, you just getting pissed. Like, dude, not everything well, is the resistance. In, God, sometimes, in here. <laughs> sometimes I just want to go to McDonald's, you know? It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like these fries? Come on, man. It's, it's not the resistance. It's delicious fries. <laughs> Broccolini. Broccolini? Is that some kind of hybrid? <laughs> Seriously? I love broccolini. You don't love broccolini? I don't even know what broccolini is. It's delicious. It's a, I think it's like a... My, I don't know. It's a little broccoli. Oh, okay. It's delicious. You should have some. Just checking. <laughs> it's a funky broccoli. Uh, I guess I'm, growing up, I was a big broccoli kid. Interesting. All right. Noted. What are you into? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't prepare for that. You know, I think the first thing that... Organic uh, SEO. The, the first thing that came to mind is like any vegetable that I can dip in hummus. That, that's So I guess hummus is my favorite vegetable. <laughs> baby <Yeah>. carrot. <laughs> I think baby carrots are just real carrots that are made into small Oh, ones. man. How old are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some things, some things I'm slow to, slow okay. to realize. 